This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Well, we have a dying world around us that's in need of something. And they're in desperate need of us actually sharing that which we know. And he, Jesus, said unto them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, That's a lot of people. That's every single person on earth. And this job has still not yet been accomplished. And it's been 2,000 years. And so this still lingers in the air. uh, And it's, it's still being conveyed to us and in through the scriptures that we are to go. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, some of you have wondered if you, know, you would ever have a ministry. You do. If you're in Christ, you've been committed a ministry, and it's called the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing those that are estranged from God back into right relationship with God. This is our ministry. Each one of us shares that ministry and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? When we pop out of our mother's womb, we don't inherently know the truth. We don't understand the gospel. There is something missing. We're in a vacuum where the truth has been removed. And as a result, that which we do understand is dark. The light has been turned off. And so how will you understand what's in the room in which you are in unless someone turns on a light for you? For us as Christians, that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel introduces the light switch. And when they agree to turn it on and to allow that truth to come in, they suddenly can see and to discern and understand. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The most beautiful feet that have ever lived were pierced on a cross. His name is Jesus, and he brought the glad tidings. He brought the good news to us, and then he imparted that very news to us and says, go. Go and share this, and I want your feet to be beautiful too. A marriage of complexity and simplicity. One of the challenges we face, I'd say in this room, very particularly, I don't know if everyone, every Christian around the world faces it, I just know we do. And that is, We have an understanding of something in the gospel that is rich and beautiful and majestic and huge. And if I were just to say to to some of you in here, all right, how about this? In Christ. And I say, start talking. You could fill up a lot of minutes, if not a lot of hours, and I could probably fill up a lot of weeks. In other words, depending on the level of maturity and how familiar you are with these concepts, that's one attribute, one of this vast, mighty, incredible message known as the gospel. And yet we can take that one element and actually expand it into weeks, if not years, if not eternity, in our understanding of it. And so 
there's this complexity or this potential complexity when you have someone standing in front of you and, and you say, so have you ever met Jesus? And they go, no, I've never even heard of Jesus. And you're like, <gasps> and what do you have inside of you but a whole bunch of Jesus? And what you want to do is go blah all over them so that they get it. And yet they're not prepared or ready any more than a two-year-old is ready for calculus. You see, there are complexities to math And yet a a young mind doesn't have to understand the complexities to understand the basics. And for us as gospel tears, many of us struggle because we have so much inside of us that it ends up getting bottled in because we don't know where to start. So we end up saying hardly anything. Instead of being able to properly convey, convey in a simplistic sense that which is most needed to bring about life. And so... What I'm going to walk through today is what I would call a marriage of complexity and simplicity because one of the things that has been very hard in modern Christianity is we've oversimplified the gospel and as a result lost its power. And it no longer brings someone from death unto life. It merely pats them on the back and says, yeah, you're fine now. And as a result, their life doesn't change from the day that they were told they were fine. Something is missing, and many of you have actually walked through that in your life where your life is futile. You're not able to actually live anything out that's in Scripture, but you believed in Jesus. So what's wrong with me is what you keep thinking. Why isn't this working? Is it Christianity that's at fault, or is it something else? Oftentimes, you were not dealt a full understanding of what that good news was, so you didn't come away with the tool belt of Christ Jesus, what he gave you on that cross, what he intended you to have in this life. And, but we also don't want to stick, you know, a huge semi truck and dump it on someone and say, see, look at all this that Christ gave you. How do we give them a clear understanding of what they have without overwhelming them to the point where they're paralyzed with, I didn't understand a word you just said. So the strength of Ellerslie, I would say is we have the stuff of the gospel the legendary stuff of history that has changed nations. We know it here. We know the power of the cross. We know the power of actual living. That it's not just head knowledge, it's a changed life. We know these things. We have the stuff of discipleship, of what I, is how I would say it. In other words, when someone comes to Christ, we're like, all right, we're going to take you deep now. So that's a strength that we have. But I'm going to talk about the weakness, because the weakness is basically what we're dealing with today. And that is, when you have a lot, you oftentimes struggle with making it simple again. Because you feel like you're going to rob someone of the grandeur that you have seen. You climb to a top of an Everest, and you've seen a great, great view. You don't want to go to a lower hill and show them a view. You want to take them all the way to the top, everything you've seen. And yet that would be called discipleship. Sharing the gospel isn't, doesn't mean giving them every single thing that you have. I mean, you could have been a Christian for 40 years. That's a lot of sitting and listening they're going to have to do before they're ready to come to know Jesus. In other words, what do we need to convey? And this is, I, I would say, probably one of the great weaknesses that we struggle with. We know we're supposed to share. We want to share the gospel. But then when we get the opportunity, we feel like we have too much in us that it comes out in spurts. It comes out in, like a balloon where you squeeze it and goes, makes that noise. That's probably what it sounds like coming out of us. It's like, so much in me. How do we simply convey the gospel without underselling the gospel? 
without shortchanging the work of Jesus. It's a marriage between complexity and simplicity. So the task. What this message is, is it's a, it's a labor. It's a certain work that I've been doing behind the scenes to try and bring about a clarity to that question. How do you marry the bigness of the gospel with the simple moments of life to more effectively bring about an understanding of a grand picture? So here it is. To make an easily transferable model, a gospel delivery vehicle that has enough complexity to bring someone to life. In other words, what's the good of sharing the gospel with someone, but it actually doesn't give them enough understanding so that they can go from death unto life. But it's simple enough to be passed along by them to someone else that very day. So say they receive this truth. Is it simple enough that they can understand it, they can give their life to it, and then they can convey it to someone else? You see, if they can't convey it, then they probably don't have it. But if they can convey it, that's one of the number one things in every one of our lives is if we can actually give that which is coming into us, it changes us at even a greater level. I I had someone tell me, I think I shared this on Tuesday night, but someone said to me last Sunday night, they said, Christianity, the type of Christian that you are seems to be defined in the first 72 hours. And if in those first 72 hours of new life, you do not turn outward and give that life that you have, if you don't share what has been shared with you with others, you tend to live a Christianity that doesn't share. But if in those very first beginning stages, those steps forward, you begin to share what is going in you, then you are a Christian that shares. Well, one thing I know is I desire to see Christians that share today. However, one of the things I think we specialize in is being Christians that don't share, but have so much to share. That ought not to be. So this is that same gospel delivery vehicle. It needs to include the entire framed-in infrastructure of the gospel life. For instance, imagine that you receive a gospel, and it's like a framed-in house. Okay, It doesn't have uh, the walls. Uh, it has walls. It has two-by-fours up. But it doesn't necessarily have the drywall up, the electrical, the plumbing it doesn't, it's not finished, it doesn't have furniture in there, but it's a frame. And for the rest of their life, they can begin to fill in all the electrical, the plumbing, they can, you know, put in some nice flooring, maybe a chandelier in the entryway, some wallpaper, paint a different room. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of options, put in a couch in the living area. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things you can add to this house, but they all still fit into the original frame that they received. A lot of us have felt that we received a gospel and then have had to go through a whole new process of saying, how come that doesn't fit with the gospel I received? What do you mean I need to be filled with the life of God? I thought I already had everything when I just believed in Jesus and now I have eternal life someday. What do you... (laughs) This thing is is really hard for me. In other words, it's almost like we have to convert our understanding of the gospel to match when we begin to study the fullness of the gospel. Well, this shouldn't be. The framework we get in the gospel should always just continue to be reviewed. It's like, yeah, it's the same framework. It just now has walls. It just now has drywall. It now has electrical. It has plumbing. It has a kitchen sink. It has the chandelier. It's constantly being added to as opposed to having to convert. But that is able to be understood without yet entering a discipleship process. In other words, where you can understand what brings you to life and what truly Jesus Christ has done for you, even though you haven't yet been discipled? Is it possible? That's one of the questions we in this room could have. 
Is that even possible? Or do you have to be disciple for three weeks before you can finally go, ah, okay, now I'm getting it. Well, that's, that's part of the task here. So now those are the main tasks. Now I'm, I'll give you some of the sub-goals. Design a means of communicating the gospel that is not dependent on expensive or unusual props. I know some of you are like, I bet that tripod cost a lot of money. But you don't need this tripod to share the gospel. It just happens to be I need to somehow have a piece of paper in front of me that I can draw on that doesn't fall over. If I was drawing on the floor, it wouldn't help you very much. And so you don't need this tripod, but you would need a piece of paper. And as far as the last time I checked, paper isn't that expensive. And, or unusual props. I have this other idea for how to share the gospel, which is really great. I mean, I've been chewing on it for a long time, except for it's extremely difficult to invent. But if I had it, oh, it'd be great. Yeah, and as a result, that's probably not the one that matches this. Design a way of communicating that is adaptable to any age and maturity level, where a child can understand it. At the same time, an adult is not offended by it. In other words, it's just truth, but it's easily accessible. Design a way of communicating that is not dependent on unique skills or communication talents. Now, what I'm going to give you today, there could be argument to say, well, Eric, yeah, but if you, you have to be a good communicator to do that. Yeah, I can understand that because there is a certain dimension of communicating the gospel that involves speaking. And so if you can't speak, yes, it does make it hard. Uh, but unique skill, what I would say is you don't have to be a professional artist to be able to do it. And what I'm going to do today uh, will definitely demonstrate that it's not professional artistry. However, some of you would say, well, that's still 100 times better than what I could do. I don't think they're going to have a clue if I did the same thing. And that's, that's a sensitivity point for me. I'm not going to say that what I have for you today is perfect. I'm just going to say these are the goals. And design a way of communicating that is able to be diversely utilized for any and all situations of gospel expression and allow for unique emphasis without changing the overall framework. If you were to learn what I'm going to share with you today and you were to practice it, when you would give it, it would sound different than the way I give it. But it would be the same framework, same truth. It's sort of a strange thing. Like Paul says, this is my gospel. And yet we could say, Wait, wait a minute, Paul. What do you mean it's your gospel? It's the same gospel Peter preached. Same gospel Apollos preached. That's the same gospel of the early church. What do you mean it's your gospel? You see, Paul has a unique voice. And those that read the New Testament can say, oh, that's Paul writing. Oh, that's Peter. Oh, that's John, all right. You see, you can recognize a voice. And the same is true in conveyance of a gospel. We may have a similar framework. We're building the same house. That same house is Jesus as our Savior. He has done it. Turn your focus towards his work. What is his work? I'm not going to make up a new work for him that he you know, did 10 uh, you know, uh, somersaults and jumping jacks and uh, what do you call that? Jump rope. You know, and we're like, yay, Jesus, and put your faith in him and you'll be able to do that too. That's not the gospel. It's not how it works. So you could say, I still mentioned Jesus. I just added a few new things. You said that it could be diversely utilized. It still needs to be the truth. But that truth could be brought out in different order in different ways, with different emphases in the process. For instance, as you are changed by Jesus Christ, you'll notice that that impacts how you share the gospel. Because you just happen to be seeing the shed blood of Jesus and the fact that it cleanses you and washes you from all sin. And you have been blown away by that. You've been so moved by that. And so when you share the gospel, what do you do? You sort of camp on that one for a couple minutes. 
and you're all extra excited about it, and someone's like, boy, they sure are excited about that. But guess what? That person you're talking to, that's probably the exact thing they were needing to hear. You see, the way we are built and the way we deliver the gospel changes from day to day because it changes depending on the person we're talking to. It depends on their needs. And so a tool is only that. It's a tool. You, the way you use a hammer is going to be different from each case to each case. And the, how hard you hammer it, it's different depending on the circumstances. In other words, it's a tool. We don't look to the tool for salvation. However, that is a tool that we've been given to be able to accomplish something in this world. Design a way of communicating that is flexible from two minutes to two hours to 202 hours. I'm not going to give you the 202-hour version today, even though it's tempting. However, one of the things you'll notice about this is we could take any element of this gospel and we could stop there. And we could unpack all the scriptures. We could open up the entire Bible and you could say, what's your reference for that? And we could say, the entire Bible. And we would be accurate. The entire Bible is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we could just sit down with someone and read through the Bible from Genesis to the end of Revelation and we'd be giving them the gospel. However, most of us are not in circumstances where that would be the best way of doing it. And so as a result, we need to understand how to take those chunks, those truth pieces, and be able to properly address people's souls by the leading of the Holy Spirit that is within us to match what they are needing with that which God has revealed in his word. And it's, it's a great exercise, like an Olympic event, and you will get better and better and better at it throughout your life. Necessity is the mother of invention. So one of the things that I have felt, if I was to sort of unveil some of the challenges I've faced in this, there are a lot of gospel tools out there. I mean, tons of them. And I have no necessarily personal opinion on different gospel tools. I do have certain thoughts in regards to some of them. I'm not even going to mention different gospel tools. However, one of my thoughts is that some of them stop short of what I would consider the full framework of the gospel. And they're getting you, in a sense, a pat on the back to say, okay, you have faith in Jesus. That means you'll have eternal life when you die, which is not false. But what it leaves out is the eternal life that you have now. It's called the life of God living in you so that you can actually functionally live out Christianity now. By the way, that's good news. You see, if all you have is hope for the future and you don't have any hope for today, you know what? You're, you're shortchanged in your understanding of the gospel. And so much of the gospel today and even the tools lead us to an understanding of some hope in the future, but no hope for our lust problem today, for our, our yieldedness to fear and anxiety in our life today to the fact that we have practical issues relationally today that need to be addressed. Do we have any hope for that? You better believe it, we have hope for that. It's called the gospel. It's called the life of Jesus Christ given for us. And so necessity is the mother of invention, saying that when you have a sense of need, it usually creates invention. And so for me, in a school like this, where I'm training people to go and share, One of the things that I'm constantly trying to monitor is what the friction points are, because we have a ton of people in this room that actually want to share the gospel. But there's also a challenge within to say, but what am I supposed to say? And of course, that even sounds somewhat unspiritual. It's like, well, just go to the spirit of God and he'll lead you. That's the spiritual answer. But to be honest, when you have 
a whole bunch of tools. It's sort of like having your, all your golf clubs. And it's like, so which golf club do I use for this? Well, I don't know, just ask the Spirit of God. You know what, actually, if you're trying to make a chip, there's a certain club that is actually better for that. If you're making a putt, there's a certain club that's better for that. And it's not bad to know that. And the same is true in conveying the gospel. There are certain tools that are actually more effective for accomplishing something than others. It doesn't mean that God can't use, you know, your uh, chipper, you know, I don't know what it's called, uh, whatever number it is of club, I don't golf, uh, to actually make a putt. I mean, God could do that. And sure, he could use our feebleness and our foolishness and still get the ball in the hole. He's very good at that, and he has a great sense of humor. But that doesn't mean we continue to do that. If there's a better way to do something, let's just do it. So the ever-growing pressing, I have felt a a definite pressing in my soul in this exact area to say, I don't like tools. I don't like systems of giving the gospel because I feel like it can hinder what God would want to do. I don't want you to feel barricaded into a a tool. It's like, well, if you're not using the napkin gospel, then it's not, no one's going to come to Jesus. And I think the best way of looking at it is there's countless tools. And they all can work. The Spirit of God can use any of them. However, one of the things I've longed for here, and this has been triggered in the past couple weeks, is a desire to have a unity amongst our thinking so that if someone was brought to Christ by our church, we sort of know what they're thinking. Even when they're coming into the discipleship process, we're all aware of basically where they would be at because we all are in a clear understanding of what is sharing the gospel and what do we what we want to bring them through and so that's where we get back to the tool and i'm always like i don't want a tool i don't want a tool i want my body to be led of the spirit and so today i'm going to do the exact opposite of what you would think i would do and i'm going to give you a tool it's like what is eric doing well necessity is the mother of invention i feel like as long as i do not give a tool then you're going to still look for a tool you're still looking for a clear way of articulating. And if we have a thousand different tools being used, then we have, I'm not saying a thousand different gospels because that's a bad way of saying it. But we have certain ones that aren't as efficient and as effective of creating a global viewpoint of what the gospel is. And so what I'd like to give you, even though it be imperfect, and I've already come up with all sorts of ways to make this better, even as I'm standing up here on the stage this morning when I was preparing, I was like, oh boy, we should have done this, I should have done this. This can be improved upon. And it is not some better system than something out there. However, you'll notice if you've been discipled at Ellerslie, huh, that's our language. That's the way we think around here. This is just an extension, like a tool that expresses what we know. I'm holding this like this again. You guys are noticing it too. You're just being nice to me. (laughs) Taking a shot at it. So that's exactly what we're going to do. This is a shot at a tool. This is a very risky message. I'm I've been somewhat nervous about it. I don't get nervous to speak. I'm not nervous in the shaking. I'm just more like, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Introducing the plan for today. So here's what we're going to do. You'll notice that up here I have a sheet of paper on the board, and I have a pen over here waiting. I actually have three sheets of paper. And uh, I'm going to actually show you something. And as I'm, I'm drawing, I'm, I'm going to be giving the gospel to someone. Okay, And you're listening in. And as you're listening in, Paul, you'll be clicking forward on the keynote to the screen that I'm drawing. Okay, so as I'm drawing and talking about it, you can click on there. So just in case this is blocked to you, you'll still be able to see it up there. 
Okay? I have no idea if this is going to work. Uh, I don't. Uh, we've, we haven't tried it. There's been no dry run, no practice. Just Eric's just getting thrown to the wolves uh, right now, which is very, very much like my life up to this point. I get into a lot of situations which feel very similar to this, and so I should be acclimated. There's just something uncomfortable about it this morning. And I'm going to do this three times. The first time is going to be what we would call the relaxed version. In other words, I'm dealing with someone that's either come to me or they've expressed in a different way, like in my talking with them, it's like, so do you have time? Yeah, I have time. Would you mind if I walked you through the gospel? And they say, that would actually mean a lot to me. So guess what? There's no time pressure. I go, so do you have any time constraints? No, I have the whole afternoon. It's like, oh, well, great. Now, even that is going to be very short because if you know me, when I share the gospel, it'll take about three hours. And that's even trimming it down. And I'm not going to give that one today. I'm going to give something that is very simple and concise that is not discipleship-based, but prepares someone to see their need for discipleship and gives them an infrastructure so that you literally can bring them to a place of newness of life in Christ Jesus. The second one is what we would call a little shorter. It's, it's more time-sensitive. It's like, so do you have any time? Yeah, I have, I have a little bit uh, of time. And so is this something, would you mind if I actually shared the gospel with you? And they say, well, yeah, okay. I, you know, I don't have that much time. And you're like, okay, all right. So we have our shorter version. And then you have, which we would call uh, planting the seed. In other words, the first one is, uh, is actually a thorough bringing through. You have time and you're going to go through this. The next one is more the planting the seed and then putting a little water on it, and then they they leave. You might not even be able to walk them through unto a place of givenness unto Christ. And so what you want to make sure is that you planted the seed well. The third one is what we could call throwing the seed. It's like, so would you mind if I share with you the gospel? Well, I, I don't know. I don't have really much time for this. I have to get back to work. It's like, well, how much time do you have? I have three minutes. All right, do you mind if I share something with you in three minutes? Uh, okay. All right, uh... Now what do you say? And so it's throwing the seed. You're not going to have a chance to pray with them, to ask them questions, even as follow-up, but you're going to give them a seed. And you, you can trust that God is faithful. Some of us sow, some of us reap. Some of us sow and reap. And yet it's God that is doing every dimension of it. Our job is to be available and ready with that seed, whether it's to plant it, cultivate it, water it, see it grow, prune it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you can do with that life. However, a lot of us are only in a momentary situation able to give truth and we can't follow up on it. We still want to handle that seed delivery as best as we can. All right, I need someone. Judah Hendrickson. I'm going I'm to share the gospel with you. Is that all right, buddy? Okay. So this is dedicated to Judah Hendrickson. Uh, Judah it's an amazing thing to realize that there's a God in this universe and we've never seen him. He's actually spirit and so he's invisible. I'm going to write his name up here. God. Now, technically, the Bible actually shows us that God is three persons. And so, if you've ever heard about Jesus Christ, he's God. And so, in the beginning was God. And so this is sort of the domain of God, the spiritual realm. And it looks like just a big white sheet, but God has revealed so much to us because we wouldn't know anything about God, and yet God desired to share himself. 
to reveal himself. God is life. He is love. He is power. He is perfect virtue. But we would never know that. But he created us to know that. And so what you're going to see, this is a really cool thing, Judah, is I have a creation here. Look at that. Look at that. It's like hidden. It wasn't there. And then God, out of nothing, created the heavens and the earth. Isn't that pretty neat? And, you know, he created light and, and he created darkness. He created uh, teeming things in the sea that floated around, uh, things flying in the air, plants that, you know, blossomed and some bore flowers, some bore fruits. But he also created Adam, the chief of his creation. He created a human body through which he would reveal all that is invisible. And he would make it visible in this realm. And the way he designed because he intends a fish to reveal him. He intends a flower to reveal him. He intends light to reveal him. However, his chief revelation was going to be in and through a human body. And so I'm going to write your name here, even though I'm just going to put it as you. Okay, see? You see, you were created in the image of God. You're like this little miniature thing that was meant to express God in a different realm. Remember, he's spirit, but you're physical. And so I'm going to draw a little picture of you here, Judah. You're a really good-looking guy. Oh, this is an amazing picture, by the way. Now, that's a nice-looking guy. And so what we have is God is, is life. He is love. He is power. He is virtue. He is holy, holy, holy. He is pure, pure, pure. He is righteousness personified. And yet he wanted to reveal that in and through us. And so something has gone terribly wrong, which I'm just about to get to, because that would explain why we are in such a difficult state now and why there's such darkness in this world, such evil in this world. But God didn't create it that way. He created it good. And I want to talk to you about God, and then we'll talk about what we've lost. Uh, but I'm going to draw something here, and it's, it's a pretty big something. This is really hard to draw uh, when I'm standing like this. That looks like a, a nice, comfortable chair, doesn't it? That's, we're going to call it the throne of God, okay? This is where he sits. It's his presence. It's like if you've ever gone into your father's study, and there he's sitting there reading the paper or something. It's, there's nothing quite like snuggling up in his lap and getting close to him. And so this is that throne. Now, this is not just any throne. We, when you hear a throne, you think of a king. Well, God is not just a king. He's the king of all kings. And so even if we didn't acknowledge him as our king, you know that he's still the king, and he's still overall. And he's also life. Now, I'm going to draw some grapes here, because in the Jewish culture, which is the one that Jesus came out of, we have something that uh, they consider the, the juice of a grape to be a symbol of life. And so we'll use that, and that's grapes. It might not look like grapes, but those are grapes. Uh, and so that's a symbol of life. You see, in the presence of God is life. And I'm going to also do a lightning bolt. <laughs> and this is a symbol of power. Life and power. Now, to somehow symbolize his nature, which is a hard thing to draw, I'm going to put some rumble marks, you know, sort of like the throne is 
is going. And so we have some rumble marks, and that's a symbol of his holy, holy holiness. His purity, purity, purity. His righteous, righteous, righteousness. He is perfect, without spot, without blemish. He is as he ought to be. And so we'll call this righteousness. The way God is, is righteous. Uh, You know, things went bad when man, us, you, decided that we could live life without God. So could you imagine a hand and a glove on top of that hand, and the glove decided one day that it could do this work without the hand. What's going to happen to the glove? It's going to fall to the ground and look pretty ridiculous. It's like, come on, glove, can you do some work? It can't do any work because it's a glove. It's not designed to do the work. God is like the hand. We are like the glove. But when the glove came off and said, I can do this myself, it's called sin. And so what happened? Well, I'm going to draw something for you first. Uh, What happened is, I'm going to write your account. You see, to be able to enter into the presence of God, you need to have righteousness over here. You have to be like God to be able to enter in. Well, he created you to do that. But when we rebelled against God and we turned our own way and we said, this body is mine. I'm going to do with it what I want. And we snubbed God. Well, our account was emptied. You see, God is life. If you remove life, what do you have left? It's called death. He's light. If you remove light, what do you have left? Darkness. And that's the effects of sin. And so the effects of sin is that you were cut off from God, which is a very dark day. And so you may want to get back to this place, but to get back to this place, you're going to have to prove righteousness. You're going to have to show that you're like God. And man actually didn't just lose God and lose life and die, but man lost even the understanding that God was there. And man started to live his own life and forget about God. But it says in scripture that God loves us. He loves Judah Hendrickson. Isn't that an amazing thought? And he loves Judah Hendrickson so much, and I'm going to make a little symbol, even though it's a bit cliche, I'm going to draw a heart because in the center of God's presence, in the very center of his person, he has a big heart. He's actually called love. And God so loved Judah that he actually came up with a rescue strategy, a rescue plan so that he could save you from the consequences of being cut off from him. Sin has kept you from God. But God has a design to bring you back to himself. And so the first thing he did is he revealed himself to us. He gave us what we know as the Bible. But the very beginning of the Bible, which is written by Moses 3,300 years ago, was actually the Ten Commandments. And so this is sort of a picture of like the Ten Commandments. Have you ever seen uh, Charlton Heston carrying around the two tables of stone? That's sort of what this is like. And so this is some writing on it, and it's a whole bunch of thou shalt nots. And it's basically sharing, hey, world, This is the way I am, says God. And unless you are like me, you cannot come here. And you can say, that sure doesn't sound like a very loving God. Actually, it is. Because unless God gives us this, we don't even realize that we have need. But what this law did is it showed us that we needed help. Because to get into that presence, there's like a little hole here. You could almost look at it as a passageway. And God says, if you can match this law... You can get into my heart 
and into my presence again. But you have to match this law perfectly. So, how you doing? And what we find out is that the law convicts us. It shows us our condemnation. And it also clarifies to us, if you're not like me, you will be separated from me, not just while you live in these bodies. But after you die in this mortal body, you'll be separated for all eternity in hell. God doesn't want us there. However, that is the consequence and the final wage of sinful rebellion. But remember, God loves us. So he has revealed to us his perfection. You know what he also revealed to us in his word? He revealed to us a hope. And in that, he said, if there is a perfect sacrifice, judgment is satisfied, the wrath of God could be absorbed, if there is something, a pure and spotless lamb that could be laid down, that pure and spotlessness must be in agreement with that commandment, with that word. And if one would come, and so all of us could be thinking, oh, could I be that pure and spotless lamb? Well, the law is making it clear, no, we're not. And yet, if there was a sacrifice that could absorb that judgment and that penalty, then there is a way in and through that cross, in and through that law, in and through that heart into the presence of God. And yet every single one of us could look to our own account. Are we pure and spotless? Do we have the righteousness of God so that we could actually hang on that cross? We don't have it. And so as a result, we check our account and we do not have what we need. But what's amazing is God became like us. He entered our realm. Remember that realm back here? And he took on a body. And that God actually went to this cross. The only one in the entire universe that was actually righteous. He gave his life for us. And he satisfied the demands of that cross. He was pure and spotless and without blemish. He perfectly matched that law. And as a result, he was able to go through the passageway. Through that cross through that law, into the heart of God and to actually enter into the presence of God. I'm going to even put a little crown of thorns on him. He suffered for our sake. Now, Jesus is actually a worthy man in a human body to be able to enter into the very presence of God. He did it, but he didn't just do it to show off to us. It's like, wow, Jesus. Thumbs up, you did such a good job. He did it to help us do the same. You see, he's like a passenger vehicle. You know, like a plane has some seats in it. That's the way Jesus is. You see, Jesus is a carrying device and he's intended to be. You see, he knew that we couldn't get through that cross and we wouldn't be the perfect sacrifice and we couldn't absorb that wrath without being eternally separated. So he went before us and he perfectly matched the law. He did in his human body what we could not do. And as a result, he went to the Father. And when he went, he wants to take us, or Judah, you, with him. And so in the side, when Jesus died, his side was opened up by a Roman soldier's sword. And you know what it did? It actually pierced his heart. And out of his side flowed blood and water. And so the way I liken this is like that's a door. It's not a very big door, but it's a door into the very heart of God. And if you enter through Jesus... You go through that cross, you go through that law, and you get into that heart and into the very presence of the Father himself. However, this is the only way in all the universe 
to get through that impossible barrier into that amazing presence. And so when Jesus died, he originally said, Eric, or for your sake, Judah, if you sin, you die. If you sin, you'll be cut off. But when Jesus came, he said something even greater. It's like a higher law. He said, Judah, if you believe in me, you will live. So he says, look upon me, Judah. Can you save yourself? Do you have it in your account, Judah, to save yourself? You don't? You don't have righteousness over here? Yeah, all you have is death and darkness. And so the penalty of which is eternal separation from God. You don't have what you need. But guess what? Have you ever checked Jesus' account? Jesus' account is stocked full of righteousness. And so when you look to him, it's like this. You actually look to him, put confidence in his work on the cross as the lone means of salvation, and you actually enter in to his very heart. Now, I'm going to draw a little you, Judah. It's going to be really hard to see out there. But there's like a little Judah Hendrickson that when Judah turns in faith, and I get this, this is amazing. Judah, it's not because you did anything. It's because he did something. Your faith isn't in what you did. It's in what he did. And when you believe, you enter into Jesus. I see you right there. Hey, Judah. You're in Jesus. And where Jesus goes, you go. Just like if you got on a plane, you'd go where the plane went. Well, Jesus is going to the Father. So he goes through that cross. He goes through that law. And he goes into the very heart of God. Where has Judah been brought? Into the heart of God. If you believe on Jesus, that's where you go. Stop right there for a second. This is where most people stop the gospel. The reason I'm passionate about a tool is not because that isn't true. That is true, and that's an amazing reality, and you can call that good news, and you would not be saying something wrong. However, if you stop there, what you've done is you've given Judah hope for eternity, that now he's with God and nothing can separate him from God, and he can be there forever. Praise God. It's wonderful. However, Judah has been brought near in order that that which originally was intended by God to be revealed through Judah would come back to this earth. You see, God has withdrawn from this earth and it's in a dying, decaying state. But God intended Judah to turn in faith unto Jesus and then that which is in Jesus would be poured out into Judah. So watch this. I'm going to make a little pipeline here. Oh, oh. I think I, I need to knit these together. What's the, what's the next one? Is it, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I draw Judah and then I do this. I link Judah and God. In other words, now there's a reconciliation. That which was broken is now reconnected. But now that you're reconnected with God, your body can now begin to demonstrate what its original purpose was. So we're gonna make a little pipeline here. Remember what flowed out of Jesus' side? What flowed out of Jesus' side was blood and water. That's a symbol of what the Bible would call living water. And it's also known as the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make a gate valve here. It's really cool. It's one of those things that, you know, out of Jesus' side flows a river. See that river? It's, it's like gushing forth. Remember when Jesus died, 
it says that when he died, that there was an earthquake. It was quite a big event. Rocks split, and the veil in the temple, there's a veil that separates our realm from God's holy of holies. And that veil was rent in two. To say that that which is of God can now come to us, and that which is us can come to God. In other words, that barrier has been broken. So there's a gate valve here. And so what I would want to tell you, Judah, is that which is in Christ, you see, when when you believed in Jesus, you went all the way into the heart of God. Just like that spear went through the side of Jesus into the heart of God. And so now when you receive it, you can receive that very life back. Remember those grapes? Remember that power? This is called grace, the power to actually do it, to live the life you were intended to. It's there. It's available to you. So what you need to do is turn the gate valve and receive it. And when you do, it actually enters your life. And that original purpose for why you were created is once again regained. Okay, if you're not excited about that, Now I want you to understand that when you believe in Jesus, that which is in Jesus' account is given to you. Because he is actually bringing you into his very throne room of grace. You know what that means? The righteousness, I'm going to make a big R here. The righteousness of God is actually yours. Everything in his throne room. His behavior, his character is like clothing to you. And it's actually credited to your account. So did you have righteousness in your own account? Check your own pockets. I don't have righteousness of my own, but I have Christ's righteousness. And therefore you have access into this very place forever and nothing can keep you out of it. And then get this, you have the Holy Spirit. And right there we could just stop and celebrate for all of eternity because the very life of God that was intended to live in this body actually has been given back to you because you have the righteousness of Christ you have access to the Holy Spirit of God. So, this body can now begin to function as, you, as God intends it to function. That that love, that life, that power can actually come back in. So you have, what, what's the next one? Is it uh, grapes? Yeah. So because of the Holy Spirit, you have the grapes. You were cut off from the grapes. You were cut off from the life. You were dead, but now, in Christ, you are alive. And you have power. I'm going to make my lightning bolt here. That's not a very good one. But you have power to do it. It's called grace. And now, to overcome the difficulties, the lust, the fear, the pride, the different things that have always held this life in the bondage, actually, you have grace. And this one's very exciting. And in your account, let me finish that there, you also have the heart of God. You see, you are adopted as his very child. Your faith in Jesus, when you turn to Jesus and believed, you receive that which only he has. Now, for those of you that are from Ellerslie and you know that there's a lot more to this. There is. There's a lot more. In fact, this is very painful for me. I have another version of this which draws a cross and says that his work on the cross is our work. And as a result, when we come to Jesus and believe in him, our old man dies on the cross. Our old life is gone. I have a tomb there with a rock in front of it, and his burial is our burial. That's what it says in Romans 6. And then the stone rolled away. His resurrection is our resurrection, which means his newness of life is our newness. It's like a plane. We go where the plane goes. And where's the plane going? It's going to the right hand of the Father. And so the next one is a picture of two feet going up in the air. And it's his ascension. 
And when we believe in Jesus, then his ascension is our ascension. You see, all that belongs to Jesus, we receive in our account. And that is the amazing reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been adopted as his children. We've been given grace to live this life. We have a newness of life in Christ Jesus. The very Holy Spirit has made our bodies his home. And we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which gives us unlimited access unto a place called the throne room of grace, the very presence of the Father himself for all eternity. See, now, if I'm with Judah in this situation, I would, of course, stop and ask clarifying questions. Do you understand what I mean? He could ask questions. Obviously, it's a very organic process, and it's not just me talking at him. But then what I would want to do is walk him through some follow-up questions. If he's grasping it, I'm going to query his soul in regards to what he has just heard. And I'm going to go through that at the very end. In other words, what I'd like to do is go through this two more times, the next one quicker, and then even quicker than that. So, Caleb, do you want to be my, my guy? All right. Caleb, I want to introduce you to God. I know that seems like a very big concept to try and comprehend God. But it's amazing because his word, he's given us, it's known as the Bible, his actual expression of himself so that we could know him. And so when you know the Bible, you find the most extraordinary things, that the God of the universe actually wants us to know him. And one of the things we realize is that God, though he is spirit and you can't see him, he created the heavens and the earth, which is where we live right now, and he created it so that he could share himself with us, so that he could reveal who he is. He's life. And so he created a world teeming with life so that we would be able to actually have that life in us. And the chief of his creation was you, people, humans. And so I'm going to put you up here. You. So that's Caleb right there. Caleb is made in the image of God. So just like a little miniature version, an expression of God. God is life, big L. You are an expression of life with a small L. In other words, when we look upon you, we were supposed to be able to see who God is. You are like a glove hanging on a hand. When that hand moves, the glove shows what the hand is doing. In other words, you're not the hand any more than you are God, but you are one that reveals the hand. So I'm going to draw a little picture of you down here. Uh, you're a nice-looking guy. Uh, I'm, there's, uh, there's a purpose for your life, Caleb, and that is that this God would actually reveal to this world, this creation, who he is in and through your life. Something's gone wrong, and I don't know if you've noticed that, but we're not a world that actually seems to like God very much. We don't hang out with God, don't like to talk about God. In fact, those people that even know God sometimes are sheepish and embarrassed about the fact that they do. Something's happened here, and I'm going to walk you through that. But first, because we have his word, we actually can understand who God is, which really uh, gives us a, almost a behind-the-scenes peek in how this gospel message works. I'm going to draw for you what we could call a throne. Because even though a throne might seem a little impersonal to describe the presence of God, there's a seat for you, and that's like God's presence. So God, his presence right here. Well, there's certain things we know about God's presence, and one is he is the authority of all authorities. That's a crown, not a very good one. Uh, and then we have some uh, grapes here, which are a symbol of life, uh, because to the 
Hebrew, uh, grapes were always a, a picture of, of life. And if you ever heard about communion and things like that, the Christians always take uh, juice of a grape. And I'm also going to, uh, oh boy, that's not a very good lightning bolt, but uh, that's a picture of power. You see, God is the lone source of life and power. And so this, known as Caleb uh, Osborne, cannot live without the life. What, if you take life away, what happens? You have something known as death. Death actually isn't material substance. It's just the absence of something. Just like darkness is not actually something you can measure. It just means there's no light. And so we have to be connected with this to have life and to be able to live as we ought to live. And this is called power or grace. God's nature is very different. These are rumble marks, sort of like if the throne was like... (laughs) This is a picture of his nature. He is pure, pure purity. He is holy, holy holiness. He is other than us. He is spotless white. Now, look around this world or even look at your own soul and you'll realize, I don't think I'm very similar to that because something has gone wrong. You see, man decided that he could live without God. And so the Bible even makes it clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin, in its very basic concept, is rebelling against God and saying, I don't need him anymore. And as a result, we lose light. And what happens? All goes dark. We lose life. And what happens? We die. And that's actually what the Bible says. It says that we have died. And so... What happens also, and I'm going to write the words your account up here. You see, your account is very important. It's like a checking account. It's like you have to have this in your checking account, otherwise you can't do this. Well, to be in this presence, you have to have something known as righteousness in your checking account, which is basically the summary of all of this. If we were to describe this atmosphere, go inside of it and walk around in the throne room of, of God's presence, we would say... What is that? What word would describe this? Ah, I know, righteousness. You see, this is righteousness. It's love, it's life, it's power, it's holiness. It's who God is. It's the way God is and the way we are supposed to be. But when we rebelled and sin entered our life, our account went empty. No longer did we have life. All we have is nothing, which is death. No longer did we have light. All we have is nothing, which is darkness. We don't have righteousness anymore. We lost the presence of God, and therefore we lost connection with God, and therefore we are cut off from God. Not because God wanted us cut off. It's because we cut ourselves off in and through sin. So if we just stopped there, it would be sort of a depressing story, and we'd all sort of go home crying. Uh, But there's good news, and that's what the gospel is. It actually means good news. It's a joyful proclamation of something. God is love. God could be a big meanie, but he's a big, kind guy. He loves his creation, and he loves Caleb. And so he knows Caleb's situation. He doesn't long for Caleb to be cut off, because as the Bible says, Caleb isn't just cut off from God for this time in your body here on earth, but when you die, you're forever cut off from God, and it's a place that says has weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's called hell, and it's not a pretty thought. And anyone who is not in God's presence is out of his presence. It's a place of death. But God is love. In other words, he's motivated to help you. And God in his very heart actually has set forth a rescue plan for Caleb Osborne. And so part of that rescue plan was to first of all awaken Caleb Osborne to the fact that he needed a savior. You see, Caleb's like, I'm fine. I don't need anything. However, he gave us something called his word. 
Very specifically, in the Old Testament, he gave us his law, which is, hey, Caleb, this is who I am. I'm perfect, perfect, perfect. I'm pure, pure, pure. I'm holy, holy, holy. How are you doing? Because unless you're like me, unless you have righteousness in your account, you cannot enter here. And we're like, what in the, how in the, I could never get there then. And he goes, bingo, you can never get there. You can't do it. See, God wants you to know that you can't, even if you try really hard, help a whole bunch of old ladies across the street, go and, you know, wipe noses of, you know, children with runny ones. And you do all sorts of good deeds, but in all your good deeds, you still cannot gain that righteousness which would warrant your ability to pass through that law this law stands with a sword saying hey you have to match me perfectly to get into the presence of god and guess what you can't and so what the word of god also says in the bible is it also says that if there is a spotless unblemished sacrifice someone who will take the punishment for that disobedience and that sin but it has to be without spot it has to actually be righteous then that keyhole or that passageway can be opened up. But the problem is, that's not us. We don't have the ability to show righteousness. We don't have it in our own pockets. And so as a result, this word just sort of, it almost feels like it mocks us. Like, well, do you have it, Caleb? Do you have righteousness? Are you like God? And we say, I'm not. But then God promises that he will send someone who will be. And that's God himself. His name is Jesus. Jesus entered our world. Remember that world back here where we are? He took on a body. God himself, the creator, actually took on a body and lived a life that you and I can't live and then went to this cross. I'm going to draw a picture of Jesus here. And he died a death on our behalf. And when we turn and look upon his work, then it says in the Bible, we are saved. You see, we're not saved by what's in our account. We're saved by what's in his account. You know what's in his account? Righteousness. You see, he is God, and he has righteousness in his account. He was without sin. He was unblemished. And so when he died, he just says, look upon me. When you look upon me, then my work becomes your work. And when he died, his side was pierced by a Roman soldier. And so the way I oftentimes like to see it is that we look upon Jesus and we enter in through that side. And to get into that side, it's a small little hole, which means you have to become pretty small. You have to humble yourself. You have to acknowledge, hey, my life up to this point isn't right. You have to repent is what the Bible says. You have to turn from your sin. You have to turn from that which has kept you from God and you need to humble yourself and enter into Jesus as the vehicle through which you can get through that cross, through that law, into that heart, and back into his presence. It's not just that you look upon him. When you look upon him, this is a pipeline. What Jesus has, he wants to give to you. So when you look upon him, you actually enter, and I'm going to put a little miniature Caleb Osborne here. Not very clear, but right there is Caleb. You see, when you believe in Jesus, you enter into him, and he's sort of like a car, a plane. You come in, and there's a seat for you, and he takes you all the way into the presence of the Father. But he also gives you what's in the presence of the Father, and he brings it to you. See, he's knitting you together and reconciling you with him so that he can give you his very life. He intended your body on this earth to reveal his glory. But if you try in your own strength, in your own account, you don't have anything. You need the hand back in the glove. And so when you turn and believe upon him, there's a river that courses out of Jesus' side. 
It's called the Holy Spirit. And when you agree with him and receive it, you turn the gate valve and it opens it up. It enters into this body and he makes your body his home. And that which is in heaven, this throne actually brings you a new heart. You're made new. You're a new person. Look at this. I'm going to even put a smile on your face. Oh, look how happy he is. You see, what he has done for you is he's given you his work. When he died on that cross, when he resurrected, when he ascended, he did a work to go to the Father. And now he's given you his own righteousness, his own life lived. He was sinless. You weren't. But he clothed you in his life. And now before God, your account says righteous. And he also gives you that Holy Spirit. So he's actually bequeathing to you everything you need from God himself into your body. And he's given you that very life. These are those grapes again. They're not looking too good, but they're really good grapes. And then we have the lightning bolt, the power, the grace to do it. All those things in life that you're committed, commissioned to do by God in his word, you actually have the power to do it. And you're adopted as his very child. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. You have been given that grace in and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, when I'm walking Caleb through something like that, of course, I'm going to ask him questions. I'm going to make sure that it's clear to him. But then I'm also going to see if he has the ability to follow up. Now, if it's a shorter gospel and I don't have much time, then what you're going to see in this next time through is I'm going to begin to trim some of these things out. In other words, I know it's it's terrible thought to trim anything out of the gospel. However, if all you have is a short period of time, you want to be able to convey whatever is most important. Michael, are you my uh, test case for this one? Okay, Michael, uh, would you mind if I share the gospel with you? How much time do you have? Two minutes, three minutes, four minutes? Four minutes. minutes. (laughs) All right, this is going to be tough. Uh, I mean, this is such a grand message. But first, let me just introduce you to God. Uh, You know, God is just amazing. And God created all things. This is going to be sort of like the created universe. God created this universe to reveal his life. And so in this universe, he actually designed you to show who he is. So that when the world sees us as his creation, they would see his life. And yet we didn't handle that very well, and we actually rebelled against God, saying, I don't need what you have. And so I'm going to draw for you really quick what we can call sort of the presence of God. And this presence is perfect. I mean, in every regard, it's, it's his throne. So he's the king of kings. It's life. It's power. It's, you know, the rumble of holiness. And yet we have to be like that to participate with God. And sin When we say, God, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. What that does is that cuts us off from life. And when you're cut off from life, you actually die. And that's what's happened to us. We have sinned, and it says in Scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God hasn't left it in that state. He actually loves us. And so he's pursued us. And he's revealed to us that in that darkened state... We will die, and we'll not just die in this body. We'll suffer in this life here, but we'll suffer for all eternity in hell. And therefore, because he loves us, he is saying, Hey, people, you need to have righteousness. You need to be like me to enter back into this throne room of grace. And yet we look at ourselves, and we look at our own account. I don't know what's in your account. Let's check it real quick. You see, this is your account. That's an A-C-C-T. This needs to be up here. In your account, you don't have anything. But you have to have perfect righteousness to enter in. But because God loves you, he says, I know you don't have the righteousness. That's what my law is conveying to you. 
But there is a perfect sacrifice that can bear, that's a really funny cross, by the way, that can actually get you through that law. But you can't do it. So I'm going to send someone who can. You know who came? God. God himself becomes a baby. His name is Jesus Christ. He grows up and lives a perfect life. In his account was righteousness. He was God. And so therefore, he took your place. This is your just punishment. But he took your place on that cross. Boy, my, my drawing is getting worse and worse as we progress. And he gave up his life for you. And what he asks you is to look upon him. And when you look upon him by faith, you put your confidence in him and say, Jesus, what you did on that cross is what I needed done. And the only way that I can get in and through that law, in and through that heart, back to the presence of the Father, is through what you did. Thank you for what you did. There's a side. The Roman soldier pierced his side when he died. That's I'd like you to look at that as a little door. And by faith, when you believe in Jesus, you actually enter in through that door into his very life, into his heart. So I'm going to draw you in there. And that's how faith works. Faith brings you into Jesus. And then Jesus takes you through that cross, through that law, which says you have to be perfect, into the very heart of God because he is perfect. You're in the vehicle that is perfect. And so what happens is your account is credited with his righteousness. Now you have access into this place because you're in Jesus. But it's not just that, but there's a canal or a channel that is opened up. It's not just you looking this way, but God has something he wants to give to you. And you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Out of Jesus' side float a river, blood and water. This is the symbol of the Holy Spirit, the very life of God, without which you can't do anything in this body. You were cut off from it, but when you turned unto Jesus by faith, all that is in Jesus is made available to you. And now, if you believe in Jesus, you can receive not just his salvation and the very opportunity to enter into the presence of God, but you can receive his life in you. So now for the rest of your life on this earth, you can function the way you were intended to function by God. So obviously a lot more simple. And every single one of these, like I said, we could stop at any one of those points. For me, it's almost a form of torture uh, to do that. And I was struggling with it all week. In fact, I almost didn't want to give this message because I feel like no matter what I say, it's going to be insufficient. But one of the reasons I went through it three times is to show you, first of all, the adaptability of it. I say it differently each time. I say, you know, it doesn't have to be said a certain way. It's a framework. And that framework is based on certain key points. Those points being that you can't, his nature is different than you, to be in right relationship with God, it demands something. God is a just God. And so to actually create that understanding of what the judgment of God is, what the law of God is, and to reveal to them that they're sinners. More time, and I would say actually a good strategy is always to actually read even the the Ten Commandments. It's actually a great thing. It says the the law of God is perfect in converting the soul. What does it do? It shows that we need a Savior. And so if you hear that you could have no other God before you, have you ever put yourself above God? Uh, Yeah. All right. Right there. Cut you off for God for all eternity. We're just right there. I mean, we just started. Have you ever uh, looked at a woman or a man lustfully? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever stolen the glory from God even? How about, have you ever dishonored your parents? And then someone says, no, I've always been honorable to my parents. Have you ever dishonored God who is your parent? (gasps) In other words, the spirit of the law cuts us to the quick and shows us that without help, without a mediator, without a redeemer, without someone to stand in our place, we're, we're hopeless. 
So 12 key follow-up questions. So if, if you're giving someone the gospel and you bring it to a place of clarity with them and you have time, then you want to bring about a harvest. The best you can, in other words, it's not your work to save someone, but it's your work to be available to bring in a harvest. So here's a question I could have asked to Judah or Caleb or to Michael. Do you see that you are cut off from God? It's just a simple question. Do you recognize that for just reasons, you are actually separated from God? That your sin has estranged you from God? Well, hopefully the answer is yes. Do you recognize the consequences of this? And as, as we go through this, one of the things you would notice as we go through this, I forgot to explain this, is that I didn't give a lot of scriptures in it. Technically, what I, would, I think would even be a more effective means is with everything you say, you just quote a scripture. Whether or not they respect scripture or not, we have scripture to back all these things. At the very end of this message, my main issue in giving this message was I needed about three weeks and I had a couple days. And so we have a whole bunch of scripture organized that Sandy put together to organize around this very thing. And so Sandy was working over here, I'm working over here, and we put it together, but we didn't integrate it into the actual presentation. But we have scripture to back this up. So do you recognize the consequences of this? Does this matter to you? If the answer is yes, it matters to me, well, hey, let's keep going here. Do you want to be restored into right relationship with God? Do you understand what Jesus did for you? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to that right relationship? Do you believe that Jesus desires to save you personally? So the reason this can be important is because someone might believe that Jesus is the Savior. The question is, do they believe that Jesus is the Savior for them? And there's a funny thing. There's a lot of weird things that are going around in Christianity which trim people's confidence that God did it for them. They could be like, oh, yeah, but God's sovereign, and he you know, has some vessels fit for destruction. I'm not uh, one of those vessels that are you know, is for honor. So therefore, how am I supposed to know? So I don't know that it's for me. Simple answer to that is, do you want to be saved? If you do, that's because the Holy Spirit is awakening you. He wants to save you. God doesn't play games with our soul. You want to be saved? You have a savior that desires to save you. Will you acknowledge to God that you have lived wrongly? Will you turn away from your old life and give up all other saviors? And will you place your full confidence in Jesus Christ to save you? Will you put your trust in Jesus to carry you to the Father, to forgive you, to cleanse you and wash you, to reconcile you with God? Do you believe that by your faith in Jesus that you indeed have been brought under the throne room of grace? Do you believe that what Jesus has earned, you have access to? Will you ask for the Holy Spirit that you might have life? What is in your account by faith in Jesus Christ? What is, what is it you have received due to his work on your behalf? So imagine if I asked you that. What is in your account? When you believed in Jesus Christ, what's your, in, in your account? You see, now I don't have it up here, but your account was empty. Outside of faith in Jesus Christ, I could say, so what's in your account? Proper answer would be nothing other than due judgment. That's all I have uh, on my side is that I'm guilty. However, when you believe in Jesus Christ, that which is in Christ's account is accredited to yours. And so his righteousness is bequeathed to you. It's conveyed to you. It's put in your account. What the scriptures say is you're supposed to reckon that. It's an accounting term. You're supposed to say, by faith, when I believed, his righteousness became my righteousness. His work on the cross became my work. His burial became my burial. His resurrection life became my resurrection. I don't have to do it. He did it. And I am gaining access to that by faith. So if you say, what is in your account by faith in Jesus Christ? I just want you to think about that. What's in your account? And you could say, huh, 
Well, I have, I have everything that belongs to Jesus. Everything that Jesus accomplished, his righteousness is mine. His death is mine, which means my old man is crucified. I don't need to crucify my old man. He did it. His work is mine. And this is how the gospel works. By faith, we are acquiring that which we can't any other way. Would you confess the death of your old life and your new birth, your new life in Jesus Christ? In other words, what I oftentimes will do is walk people through a point of confession where they're actually taking this tongue and beginning to use it in agreement with what they believe. So my old life is no more. It's passed away in Christ. When I, when I believed, my old life was dead and buried. I have new life in Jesus Christ. Will you share this new life with others? Would you agree with this life and give it to those around you, allowing the Holy Spirit to bless and encourage others through you? This is a hard one, especially for those of us that have been Christians for a long time. It's just like, ah, I don't know if I really want to do that. Well, you take a new believer and just treat it as if this is the most basic thing. This is what you do. You've been given new life. The floodgate was open to you. Now open up the floodgate through you. In other words, you have two spigots. You have one that opens up what comes to you from God, and then you have another one that causes it to go through you unto others. Both have to be opened. If you open one and allow the Holy Spirit to come in you, but you don't share it with someone else, well, it's funny, but your spigot to, the, to God seems to close off, and you lose the substance of God. God forgives you, you forgive others. This is how the gospel life works. And so at the inception, we want to be sharers, Forgive those that have done you wrong. Share this good news with those who are dying and serve those around you with the life, love, and power that God has made available to you in Jesus. You have a lot of scripture in those notes and I would love for you to begin to prayerfully consider this. One of my thoughts is if we had more time and I could have spent more time in the preparation, what I really wanted is to have four different people come up and have four different scenarios and have them just share the gospel with this same tool so you could see the framework. Like I really wanted Sandy to do it. We just don't have time to do that. And I want you to see how it's the same gospel, but it's different emphases, different ways of expressing things, certain things that are like very Sandy-esque as opposed to certain things that are very Eric-esque. For instance, I make sound effects when I do things. There are certain attributes of each of us as person, as individual people that are wonderful. God loves it. And you shouldn't ever try to be like me. That's just awkward. You should be fully what God has designed you to be. And as a result, when we take this truth, it becomes our gospel. And we are sharing that which is in us. We've been changed by it. And when it flows out of us, it changes others. Even if it's imperfect, even if we leave certain things. Like I was thinking, I forgot to put the new heart in the first one. Oh no, Judah Hendrickson never saw the picture of the new heart. It's fine. The world will not come to an end. When he finds out about the new heart, he might say, yeah, Eric never told me that. And yet, guess what? It's not going to be bad news to him. You see, it still fits within the framework of what God is doing. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com. E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E dot com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.